are hosting another Makers of Minnesota dinner at the Lexington in St. Paul. Not only will you be front and center with some of the best Minnesota makers in the Twin Cities, but you will be treated to a three-course dinner compliments of Chef Nick from the Lexington, who will be using the featured maker's ingredients in all the courses he's making for this special event. Our October dinner is Tuesday, October 25th, and our featured makers are so fun, including Milk and Honey Ciders, who's making beautiful ciders at their orchard in St. Joseph, Three Bear Oats, who specialize in grain bowls full of delicious goodness. Also on deck is Taking Stock Foods. They've got these organic bone broths that taste amazing and are so good for you. As well as Olive Oil on Tap, who has formulations of specialty oils and vinegars that are out of this world. And speaking of out of this world is Mrs. Kelly's Tea. Mindy Kelly is truly a savant at blending the most beautiful, flavorful, aromatic teas, and she's been doing it for years in Northeast Minneapolis. I can't wait for you to meet her. I'm so excited to see how Chef Nick will use all these ingredients in this multi-course menu. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special dinner, and when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for the Makers of Minnesota dinner. Get your tickets now at thelexmn.com and watch for details on our November 29th dinner, where Chef Nick will be cooking the book, the True North Cabin Cookbook, just in time for the holidays. So go to thelexmn.com to get tickets and sign up for my free newsletter so you're always in the know about any events I'm excited about or hosting at stephaniesdish.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And I have wanted to talk to this group for a long time because they sort of took the state fair by storm. And it's this like story of this new product, but really that's not new. That's actually centuries old and very old in their family. So I am with uh, Rana Kamal and Khalid Ansari, and they are with Babas Hummus. And you guys, as a new food at the state fair, and I believe the year was, was it 2009? No, 2020. Was it 2020? It was 2021. Okay, 21. Because you get so confused because we didn't have the fair for a couple of years. So, okay, new food, 2021. Yet with like arguably what could be considered one of the oldest foods, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the hummus bowls and your state fair launch. And I just, I want to hear the whole story about how you guys took this product that had been in your family for generations and I guess modernized it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to back it up a little bit and really talk about, you know, our story and how it came to be. Um, You know, we come from an entrepreneurial family. Our father immigrated from Jerusalem, Palestine to the United States in the mid seventies. And he opened up one of the first Middle Eastern restaurants in Minnesota in 1979. And it was there where he introduced Middle Eastern food staples like hummus, falafel, baba ganoush, tabbouleh to a predominantly white community. So it was a very new concept. And if you ask him and if you ask his brothers, they'll tell you it was a rough start. Um, But I think 
after customers started to trickle in and try the food, they kept coming back again and again and again. And the concept really stuck. And 44 years later, you know, we're still standing, which is amazing. We're incredibly proud. Um, so in 2015, Khadid and I were both working at the restaurant and we were doing all sorts of things like catering and marketing, but we knew we wanted to do something beyond the restaurant. And that's where the idea of Baba's sparked. We grew up in a Palestinian household. You know, our mother and father really embedded the culture and traditions. And as we grew up eating Middle Eastern food every day, home cooked Palestinian food, we spoke Arabic you know, in the household. And, um, you know, we ate the best hummus, whether that be, you know, in our family restaurant or when we would go to Jerusalem in the summer. But we knew that there was something or we saw that there was something missing in our community. And that was our food being represented, especially on the shelves of mainstream grocery stores. You know, you could find hummus at the time in specialty grocery stores or hummus was being made by big box retailers. And that didn't represent us, nor did that resonate in us. So we set out to change that with Baba's. We wanted to show our community what real authentic hummus tastes like made by Middle Eastern makers. And so in 2015, you know, it started as a passion project and it took a couple of years because we were both working in our own respected industries. And, you know, we worked on the recipe development for some time and the, the brand iteration. And then in 2018, with a big leap of faith, we, you know, crossed our fingers, we launched babas with three flavors our traditional sriracha and red pepper and we literally went from store to store to store across the twin cities handing out samples pitching our product and crossing our fingers again that somebody would take a chance on us and you know the wedge valley natural longfellow were among the first and we're so so grateful to them and you know a couple stores turned into 20 turned into 50 turned into 100 and now baba's is found across the state of Minnesota and Wisconsin, and we're starting to expand across the Midwest. So really excited for what's next. I was at Kowalski's Market, I think yesterday, and noticed that you have quite a large selection of SKUs in the grocery store, which to me indicates that it's a solid seller because they only give you as much space as they think that they have to, to warrant to sell your product. And I did notice dill pickle hummus. Yep. Can we talk about how that transpired? Because I would imagine that wasn't necessarily a traditional flavor for your family. Yeah. Um, You know, our tagline is modern Middle Eastern. And so when we think about flavors, we think about mashing up, you know, Middle Eastern flavors and American staples. And I think that dill pickle is a really great example of that because we take our creamy, dreamy, traditional hummus, our hummus that, you know, was created in the restaurant in 1979. It's a real authentic recipe. And then we blend it with an American staple, like a dill pickle. And so that's how that one came up. You know, we were like, what, what would, you know, Minnesotans like, especially at the state fair. And, you know, Khadid does a lot of um, the recipes over at our production facility. And he knocked that out of the park. And so when we introduced it, we weren't sure what people would think, but it did amazingly well. 
Khaled, does that mean that there's like potentially some kind of a ranch iteration on the horizon? Because when you think of American, I don't know, culture, I always just think ranch really stands out. Yeah, I mean, um, so at the State Fair this year, to connect to what you were talking about, we had a ranch uh, flavored hummus. So it might be somewhere down the pipeline. But like Rena said, it's definitely um stands for what we do and what baba stands for bringing that authenticity but also melding in um our culture which is palestinian american and uh we both grew up here in the united states in minnesota we were both born here um so we have that kind of flavor portfolio of of you know loving ranch and pickles and all of these american staples but we also grew up eating this yummy hummus um, and Middle Eastern foods. So I, I'd say it's definitely potentially down the pipeline for sure. When it's kind of an interesting time to be a business that is steeped in immigrant parents, because we have had a real reckoning, I think, in the culture of immigration, of uh, diversity with BIPOC businesses. And also we're in this time of just complete um intolerance as well for those immigrants yet we are seeing so much product that is coming out that is so delicious and lovely and really reflective of the second and third generation immigrant experience it's such a weird dichotomy to be in this time how does that feel as a maker for you to be sort of on the forefront of this is a really successful time for you but it's also clouded in so much um, heritage of the immigration story. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think it's a great time to be a BIPOC founder. I think, like you said, we're living in a time that the world has never been more diverse and we're continuing to be and grow in diversity. Um, If I can, you know, share my own personal experience, you know, when I was growing up, As a Palestinian American, you know, in Apple Valley, Minnesota, most of my friend circle were Caucasian. And I definitely stood out as being one of the only Arabs, one of the only Muslims. And all I wanted was to blend in, was to be like my friends. And I remember that, you know, when my friends would come over, my mom would be cooking a Palestinian traditional meal and my friends would say, what does that smell? Or when she'd speak to me in Arabic, they would, you know, ask, why is she so angry when she speaks? And I remember just thinking like, I wish that the ground would just swallow me up right now. But, you know, fortunately, I started to really um, turn and and see how beautiful and amazing and incredible it was to be different. It was to speak another language. It was to be Palestinian. Um, And I have two daughters now, and they're 10 and 6. And I've really, you know, seen that change. I've seen how much times have evolved, you know, like, especially looking at their friend circle, you know, they have friends from all parts of the world. And it's so cool to see. And I also see that it's really cool today to be, you know, of a different background to speak another language. 
And um, when it comes to Baba's, you know, being a BIPOC founder right now, it really is a true honor that we are able to represent our community. We are able, you know, to represent Palestinian Americans, Middle Eastern Americans, Middle Easterners in the United States and share the beauty of our culture and food and really put our food on the map. It's interesting to think about your third generation of your kids, uh, Mm -hmm. because I do think like, I think that the older generation is maybe feeling um, intimidated and maybe feeling left behind because you look at any uh, elementary school in anywhere, really anywhere in the country, and it's pretty diverse when you look around and those are the leaders of our future generation. So I do always think when I'm at my lowest of thinking, oh, my God, can America get any worse? I do think like, oh, no, this is it. This is coming. These third generation kids are going to really change this. And immigration can get solved. We can assimilate people. We have done it at Ellis Island. Why can't we start having a better plan, more inclusivity? So. I I think that the more people meet people that aren't like them and the more they taste your products and the more they learn your culture and your history, it becomes less scary. And it's like, come on, people, let's just get on yeah. board. One thing that, I, I, oh, go ahead. I, I think that's, I think that's huge. And I think that like, uh, to, to Rena's point growing up, I, I remember my friends, I mean, they, they kind of most of my friends were always at our house because it was cool and it was unique. And and once people start to realize that um, diversity is cool. And I think, I think in a community level, like in Minneapolis itself, the community and the diversity in this city is actually super strong. Right. And once people start to see it and and actually be a part of it, um, I think it's, I think it's amazing. And I think it's cool how, how much people gravitate to it. And, and that was always something that stood out to me in my uh, growing up was, was our house. And Reno will remember this. Our house was the house that was full of, of, of our friends. They were always at our house. They were always, you know, trying our mom's food. And, and it was, there was very difficult times and there was a lot of identity crises, even for me as a child, but it, it was, it was cool to see that so many people actually diversity is cool. And and for us to be able to bring Babas to the front and show that diversity is cool and to show that that um, unique food and, and different food can be normal and normalized and, and be cool is 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 really what Babas a big part of what Babas is and to show what our generation our, our being a second generation immigrant uh, can be in the business world is I think it's really a cool thing. And then you come into a place like the state fair where a million and a half people come through the doors and, and there you are. And you're right next to new scenic cafe. Who's doing a a sashimi taco, a wonton. I mean, if you think about that, that's kind of crazy. And then, you know, you're next to spinning wild who are doing, you know, the 55 flavors of cotton candy and the watermelon juice that whole area really um, was a great addition to the fair. I love it. It feels like a little food truck alley right in the state fair. One of the things about your, I'm going to, hummus is, I think, the proper way to say it. In, hummus. 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 Okay. Hummus. <laughs> hummus. I want to make sure I say it well, correctly. It's almost like hum, like 
like hum almost, but even like it's hard to say. It's a a hard word to say because you kind of have to like swing it back down to your throat. Right. Hummus. Hummus. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, You're, it's very different in that it's got a lot smoother texture. And also, you know, when we saw pita, pita was like this very dry, flat, sort of puffy, but not really puffy. You know, real Israeli pita is so much more puffy and and a little doughier. And that was sort of the presentation that I felt like you guys brought to the fair that was also different. Yeah, I mean, that was the, that was kind of the the concept with the fair was just to to bring, you know, our authentic um, product to the front and to do it in a place that was uh, very, very, very unique to a lot of people. Uh, I think a lot of people looked at the lists of foods and saw hummus and said, what the heck, you know, and and I think that was kind of our goal was to to bring something super unique, um, super flavorful, and to bring something that was just tasted good and and in this case was a healthy product as well um so with the pitas those really hit off too because they were more authentic to the point of like you said where it was you know fluffier and stuff like that but but a small pita um that kind of was a perfect dipper for all those bowls too yeah and you know when you go back to palestine um and you really try pita i think that it's really hard to find like a good representation of authentic pita you know in minnesota and you know for the most part across the united states but when you go back to palestine and you sit at a small cafe in jerusalem you get these really you know um amazing puffy little pitas, right. Um, that just have come out of the oven. And I think Khaled wanted to channel that experience through our little pita puffs that we introduced at the state fair. And honestly, they, um, they were almost as popular as the hummus itself. Yeah. I, that led me, I think I'd like to buy those in a store. So just note to self. (laughs) we are definitely working on that oh good because yeah that's a product that I think there's some innovation required that could really be great yeah 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 yeah. so stay tuned all right so you guys are now expanding Minnesota Wisconsin I I would imagine you want to just keep going you're not still making this in the basement of the Mediterranean restaurant are you we are. Yeah. Is yeah. there at some point a situation where you need to consider co-packing or? Um, yeah. So it's kind of a funny story. Well, so when we first started, um, like Renna said, in 2015, we were just figuring things out. We were doing a lot of recipe creation. We were doing um, just just really figuring production and, and what that looked like being a restaurant moving into food manufacturing is a really big step and it's it's just it's different and it's 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 not the same as you would think it is so we started at the restaurant just in the kitchen when the kitchen wasn't working we'd start early in the morning before they got in there um and then we ended up moving to a commercial kitchen where we did some of our stuff there um and then we kind of grew out of that and that's when we built a kitchen in our basement 
um, of the restaurant. And that's really um, propelled us to grow. It's been a good avenue to do that. We've had to really learn how to be efficient. Um, and when you're in a basement, you know, a 1500 square foot basement, you really learn efficiency and you really learn how to pump out as much product as you can in, a, in an efficient, uh, correct way. And um, so basically, yeah, that's where we're at now. We started one day a week in the basement. We went to two days a week. We went to three days a week. You know, now we're, you know, now we're seven days a week, multiple shifts. Um, and we are actually in the process right now of um, building a facility where we're going to do all of our production there. Actually, we're renovating a building. Um, so that's going to be happening in the next uh, six months. So that's kind of our, our growth plan here for production um, in the next six months to a year. And was there a conscious decision to keep the production, I guess, in-house versus going to like a co-packer? And that means, you know, you you are still in control of making the product. You are hiring employees. You are running multiple shifts. It's kind of manufacturing at that point, which is also a different business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's I think for us it's fun um, to be able to do things ourselves, and it's also um, being able to control the product, like you said. I think for us, um, the product's kind of our baby, and we want it to be this the way that we kind of created it, and we want to be able to have hand, all hands on uh, board when it comes to the production. So. Um, it was always something that we had talked about, me and Rena, that we wanted to keep that um, in-house. Uh, we talked to co-packers. We, we looked into that uh, possibility. But at the end of the day, we knew that we could do it. And we knew that um, if we did it that way, we would be able to control the product and do it the way that we wanted to. Um, you, kinda, you hear a lot of horror stories in co-packing. I, I'm sure there's a lot of very... I mean, there are a lot of very good products that are sure. co-packed. Um, but for us... It was, it was definitely, yeah, just being able to control it, being able to do that. And honestly, uh, also, it's, it's I, I mean, we enjoy it as well. We enjoy yeah. being able to do that. We enjoy being able to hire people, being able to create a team of people that um, can grow with us. I think that's always been a big thing for us. We've always wanted to be able to um, bring, you know, restaurant staff or just be able to create um, um, more people that we can grow with the company. And and that's been one of the avenues that we've been able to do it. Yeah. It's something to think about because a lot of restaurants, I never thought about it that way, but a lot of restaurants get kind of stuck in that the upward mobility is sort of limited, right? Once you're at the top of the restaurant, but this gives you a whole nother angle with which to give people opportunities or if people get burned out necessarily on what is a really difficult day-to-day restaurant job, maybe having some other options for them too. I, never yeah, that, I mean, that, that. that was a, yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually a big part of Baba's in general is that was me. I, I was, I've, I managed the restaurant for um, 13 years and at some point it, it's, it is a difficult job and it, and it is um, hard on a family. And um, Baba's was a way to, to move some of that into more of a nine to five and, um, be able to do that with some of the staff that we have as well. So, um, Bob, for me, Baba's was a lot of, a lot of, there was the innovation and the creation and wanting to have this product out there, but it was also a way to, um, take a step away from the restaurant and do something in a different way and bring some of the staff in to do that as well. 
you guys had this very short window with which to sort of get this state fair project going, right? You had about an eight-week window. I'm curious about financing because one of the things that people don't think about with the state fair is you have to buy an enormous amount of product because you have to be able to move an enormous amount of product in the span of two weeks. So how did you guys finance the truck, the amount of product that you had to purchase and paying all the staff to get everything made in time for the state fair in an eight week window? Did you take a loan or how did that work? Yeah, the, um, so the state fair, it was 2021. And um, I think we were talking to them in like May and, and it started in August and it, it was, it was pretty funny. We were, we were just like emailing back and forth. They, they liked the concept and uh, we had this picture of, of an Airstream actually. And they were like, so, you know, I, we could tell from their, their replies and stuff that they were very excited and, and, and they like were interested in us, but then they were like, so where is this thing? And we were like, well, if, if you, if you're going to take us, we'll build it <laughs> kind of type of thing. So um, it all happened in, in that three month span. We found an airstream in, in a, in a place in Forest Lake. And, um, I got married in July that summer. So it was just like a hectic time. I had my honeymoon in Greece and we were doing all this stuff. And the financing to go back to that was we've, we've been lucky with Baba's to have, um, financing in house with family and friends. And, um, we did have some bank partners. We still do. Um, so really financing for Baba's has really been a mutual, um, you know, some families has, have invested, some friends have invested nice. and yeah. also, and also banking. So it's, it's kind of been a mix. But that wasn't a hurdle for you. Cause for some people, the banking piece is just, I mean, they, people say no. they want to give you money, but yeah. sometimes no. they don't. No, it's absolutely been, a, it's been a hurdle. Um, it hasn't been, it hasn't been easy. Um, I think some of the financing from family has been uh, maybe easier and friends have been a little easier, yeah. but, but the bank piece is definitely a hurdle and it's definitely a, a long process. And, um, you know, a small growing company, banks look at you very differently and, um, you're all projection based. So there is a lot of, um, there, there, there's a lot of difficulty in the banking side specifically. Yeah. And that you can, you know, it's like, oh, we want to support these businesses. And at the end of the day, if you put your house on the line and you put your other assets on the line, sure, they'll support you. Well, exactly. for a lot of entrepreneurs, that's a pretty scary, risky place to be in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to see that things are loosening up, but I'd like to see it a little bit more because I just think, we have a lot of good entrepreneurs that if they got some funding or they got access to funding or even, you know, management of how to handle your funding and P&L control and operations costs and some of those very basic things that as a small business owner, you sort of stumble along until you figure it out, right? Cost of goods even. And, you know, you guys are importing um, some products. Has that yeah. really impacted your pricing? Absolutely. So, um, COVID for us, um, COVID and supply chains and all those things. I mean, prices are up 30, 40% across the board, you know, in some of our, um, most, um, used products. So, um, inflation has definitely hit us pretty hard. Um, we were able to raise the prices a little bit in grocery stores. Um, but, um, 
we definitely saw a lot of our imported products um, go up, but but it was kind of across the board, honestly. Um, containers, the whole the whole deal was was pretty high um, inflationary costs for us. Yeah, and you look at inflation costs of food; they say in the Twin Cities it's eight percent. I actually think it's a little bit more than that. And yeah, then you look right. at, you know, what can the consumer absorb? And you're also having to compete with these national brands that have more exactly. runway to absorb cost. So I imagine as a starting out smaller business and you guys are doing really well. um, I just imagine that that's a different conversation. And that probably means you have less take home pay for both of you for, you know, trying to, you have to pay employees more because it's harder to find them. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a really hard time to be a small business person. I think. Yeah, there is a lot of challenges, like you said, you know, across the board, like even, you know, when it comes to paying our employees, like we value them so much and to be able, like Kada said, to give them this opportunity and for them to come every day and work for us, like it's so important for us to take care of them. And so, you know, there's been a lot of challenges, but I think, you know, we've made a lot of progression um, and it really is attributed to, to the support of our community. That's how we've grown. Right. And so, you know, the support and the love that the community has shown us has helped Baba's continue to grow and grow and grow. And that way we're able to, you know, have a sustainable business and to take care of our employees and to give them a fair pay. And then also, you know, we now are almost five years in the business. And I think we just started to pay ourselves, right? Khaled, like maybe a year and a half ago. So it, you know, it took a while. So we were giving a lot of our time and, you know, as you know, a small business takes up a lot of your time. You'd like to think that it'd be a nine to five, but a lot of the times, you know, you're, you're working after hours, you're working on the weekends, you know, it, it blends in, um, and, you know, and, and, and we're happy to do it too, you know, yeah. because we're so proud and we're excited to continue growing this brand. But at the same time, yeah, you sacrifice like those first few years, you can't pay yourself. I think it's a rarity, especially as a small business. Um, so, but thankfully we, we got there. <laughs> it's funny because they say, if you've been in business for yourself for five years, that you're virtually unemployable. Uh-huh. in any other business. And I do think for a lot of entrepreneurs, that's kind of true, myself included. But it is true that like, you don't really even start paying yourself till like year three, maybe mm-hmm. four. So mm-hmm. it's like, right when you start to pay yourself, you've become so autonomous that you're virtually unemployable. It's just sort of a funny oxymoron, but you learn a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think because both of our backgrounds too, you know, I come from a journalism background, but I've done a lot of freelancing. And then I, you know, I worked part-time at the restaurant when I was living in Minnesota. And then Khaled, you know, as he said, was managing the restaurant for many, many years. So we have always kind of been entrepreneurs in some way or another. We've always kind of managed ourselves. And so now after, as you said, like after you hit that five-year mark and you're like, okay, you know, I think that this business is really legit. It has something. something. Um, 
I can't imagine what it would be like to go work for someone else. I, I really can't. I know me neither. And you guys are doing great. It's super fun to talk to you. I can't wait to put my hands on your product the next time I'm in the grocery store and to buy it because I just think your story is great. But I also think you're really great people and very grounded in your culture, your community, that your community has supported you guys with financing makes me really happy because that is how the best small businesses grow, right? It's it's friends, it's family, it's community. And I'm just really proud of you. You're doing a great job. Thank, thank you, you so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you.